And three, two, one. All right, I'm here with uh, Alfonso Braggs. He's president of the NAACP Hawaii, and I want to thank you for giving me your time and coming to talk story with me for my podcast. Um, so what I'd like for you to do first is just go ahead and uh, give us a little background about yourself, please. Originally, uh, I am from Wilmington, North Carolina, where I was born and raised. I spent 26 years in the United States Navy. I am a veteran of the submarine force, and I ended up here in Hawaii with the military. I've lived here and called this beautiful place home since 1992. And so here I am today, still doing social justice advocacy work. I love that. And uh, like I was saying before we started, I was looking at your biography. And uh, what caught my eye, it says you served three consecutive terms on the Wilmington City Council as a youth member. What is, what is that? Like they have like a... a so in my hometown, uh, young people were elected through the high school system to play an active role in our government. And so you ran for a city council position. Oh, wow. Uh, you were elected and you were held responsible for certain functions. Uh, they made sure that... There was obviously a, a comprehensive agenda. You helped formulate initiatives, address issues within the community. You were responsible for certain events and activities huh. and the development of certain policies and particularly those that affected young people. Oh, that's interesting. And how long is each term? And then who votes? Each, is it each term is a year and it is your peers that elect you to office. Oh, that's cool. We didn't have nothing like that. Uh, I'm from Pittsburgh, okay. Pennsylvania, so I'm, I'm right above there. And uh, yeah, I've, I've never heard of nothing like that. So I thought that was pretty cool when it's I was a looking through that. Great segue into government it is a magnificent way for young people to learn uh, policy, the formulation of policy, uh, fiscal responsibility, yeah. and also to uh, de help develop leaders. Yeah, and that seems I could see I could see when I go through your entire biography, I can see how that kind of like launched you, kind of like into where you are today. In the Navy, what was your role in the Navy? Were you officer or enlisted? I was a, uh, enlisted. Uh, I was in administration and personnel uh, management, and so everywhere from the Secretary of the Navy's office to headquarters for the Pacific <laughs> Fleet. Oh, wow, that's and, cool. And uh, special programs. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I like that. And uh, when you retired from the Navy, what did you end up doing then? It says, so I, after I retired from the Navy, took a few months off, there really needs to be a period coming from a very active submarine life deploying life to transition and acclimate back to regular yeah. uh, what we call civilian activities and so about six months and then I went into the private sector where I served as operations director for Angel Network Charities working with the homeless outreach and mm. services and I spent a few years there and then I transitioned back to the federal government worked for the IRS almost three years and now I've been, <laughs> since then, uh, with uh, over at uh, Pearl Harbor. Oh, really? Where I'm a senior management analyst. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I did a podcast with um, retired Major General Joe Logan. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, he kind of did the same thing. It seems like everyone they get out, they do about a year, and either the wife says, "Hey, you gotta go," or they just say, "I can't sit at home. I gotta go do something." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Like uh, I myself, I wouldn't be able to just retire and then just sit at home. I would have to find another gig too. So uh, I guess what got you interested originally in, in, in I guess the civil rights um, movement and, and getting involved in that aspect of our um, I guess government. I grew up in a community, in a culture where all young people were reminded of their responsibility to pick up a noble cause Mm. and move it forward. We were obviously engaged as kids in the processes, and I remember somewhere around 11 or 12 or so that we were very active in local campaigns and involved in community initiatives and such and so I immediately moved into that as an understudy as some would say being mentored and I enjoyed it you know found a niche that I really felt was my calling and so I thought about being an attorney as a result of uh, (laughs) Uh, that engagement. Yes, and then I just joined the Navy, but I've never let go of the the need I felt to fight yeah. uh, for justice and equality. Is that a youth council thing? Is that still a program? The youth council was one of those opportunities uh, for me to do so and to solidify that particular calling and, and to validate that, yes, I'm going to enjoy it. I can see purpose mm-hmm. in what I'm doing. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's throughout. Still, does that still exist? Like, do they yes. still do that? Yes. Oh, yes. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hawaii should look into something like that. So we have an initiative now that I was very, very pleased to see come on board where uh, the youth here in Hawaii will now start to work with the city council, uh, kind of in an assistant role. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that this is uh, finally coming to fruition. And I think it, it is magnificent that it will help develop future leaders yeah. and give young people an opportunity to, to play a greater role in policy development, understanding government and its operations, because at some point in time here, they are going to be the individuals making those decisions and helping to craft yeah. what is going to be happening. Like we were, we did a... Um we did a resolution on my neighborhood board where we were trying to get uh, we were trying to get it passed just saying like hey we should allow you know the youth to serve on the neighborhood board maybe they don't have a voting capacity but I mean why not though because there are I think it was New York they have certain slots that are dedicated just to youth um, because then that would get them more involved because like my neighborhood board we're all older um, so it would be nice to just have like the younger influence on there with new ideas and get them more active so when I seen the thing about the the youth council, um, or as a youth member on the city council over there in Wilmington, I was like, oh, that's a that's a, I guess that would be like a, uh, like you were saying, is it what is it we have now like a youth commission or something? So that that, that here we're creating here in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and and so I will tell you that unless we do this type of engagement and it is structured. Mm-hmm. then we are ill-prepared to call on these young adults, you know, to actually pick up the mantle and move it forward. 
the responsibilities of our elected officials is huge. Yeah. And they have to be held accountable. And when we expect individuals to perform certain functions, we need to make sure that they are more than just equipped with the tools and the processes, that they are also informed, educated, and acclimated. And so having this opportunity for our young people to engage at a youth age uh, is definitely a great preparation. Yeah, and it's it's kind of sad because um, people, a lot of people don't even know how the government really works. Right. The steps, the differences, right. the departments. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, definitely getting them involved while they're young and just getting them educated in the process and the bureaucracy and the red tape and everything. Really, uh, I think when they become the leaders, they would know how to navigate that system mm-hmm. and make things a little bit more easier or even maybe more efficient. And that with young people, we also you know, comes the ability to embrace innovation because I don't think that we do enough as we transcend generations that we are often that inviting to change. Yeah. However, you know, we're here now in the 21st century and we have got to embrace all concepts without losing our foundations. Mm -hmm. And I think the inclusion of young people is really all about diversity. Mm-hmm. And so if we're truly going to have our government reflect our communities, then the inclusion and preparation of our young people is an integral part of that. Yeah, and the younger people tend to be the ones who are more involved in the communities. I mean, one of my um, favorite lawmakers from here, Cedric Gates. Right, right. I mean, that guy, he has long been involved in his community, him and his brother. And um, to this day, they're still involved. They haven't vanished Absolute. just because they won a few elections. Like, they're mm-hmm. still out there, and they're still doing it. They're getting cars towed. They're cleaning up the community. Like, that, that to me is, like, what a, an elected official is as compared to others who are just kind of never around. I just see them as just kind of getting a paycheck. <laughs> but um, I'm kind of curious, like, what made you... Um, were you always involved in the NAACP? Was it more on the mainland, or did you just start getting involved here in Hawaii? No, I joined the NAACP in the early 80s when I was in Connecticut. Uh, One, I've always been familiar with Mm -hmm. the NAACP and its work and its significant leaders. Uh, There was an opportunity for me to get involved as an active member uh, back then. And then in the 90s, when I got here, the late 90s, there was a resurgence of that uh, opportunity, and I got involved. I saw the critical need for us to, to reactivate the chapter that was here, mm-hmm. the, the group that was here in Hawaii, and I took advantage of that opportunity. That's awesome. And what kind of things have you, have you guys, um, I guess, helped out with or been dealing with here in Hawaii? I will say that uh, obviously social justice Mm -hmm. has a multi-pronged approach and everything from the early days of my involvement, uh, including uh, taking on the University of Hawaii at Manoa and their newspaper and some of the content that we felt was inappropriate uh, to see to it that there was a 
uh, what we would call a kind of a working group where we were awakening the consciousness of the editorial uh, group and its I leadership like and an inclusion of the students and some working groups there where we actually had real conversations about sensitivity and appropriateness. Hmm. Uh, over the years, it was about uh, taking on the chair of the Hawaii Tourism Authority and some of uh, his behaviors, uh, sending out inappropriate content on social on his uh, computer mm -hmm. and being held accountable for that if you're going to be in these positions then along with that comes the responsibility for a certain appropriate behavior oh yeah for sure and other um advocacies for changes in our laws of inclusiveness uh, changes uh, which included making sure that our educational systems were fair and unbiased, uh, including working with the uh, Department of Education, Civil Rights Compliance Office, uh, working with the local EEOC, the Hawaii Civil Rights Commission, mm -hmm. and others, and the ACLU and of JACL, other partners in trying to move forward uh, in the struggle for justice and equality. And you guys, you guys don't just deal with the African Americans, right? You, you right. also help the Micronesians and any other? Civil yeah. rights has no respect of persons. Mm -hmm. It is truly based on the Constitution, which truly includes every single individual regardless of their social, economic, uh, preference, gender, age, all of those are included in what we consider their inherent rights in mm -hmm. the Constitution. And so as a civil rights organization, it is about equity, you know, it is about inclusion and making sure that all of the promises, as Dr. King said, that were intimated in the Constitution are truly realized by the citizens of this great democracy. Yeah, no, I love that. And then so when you look back at the past, you know, everything that's going on now, and then you look back at uh, 2020 when things really mm -hmm. exploded, um, and you see, and we'll just dive into the Black Lives Matter. We'll just talk about the movement, not the organization. Because mm -hmm. admittedly, I don't know so much about the organization, but the movement. It, it always interested me that when you would say, or not you, but when people would say, hey, Black Lives Matter, you would get that faction of people that say, well, all lives matter. And for me, I always thought, like, well, I think you're, you're just missing the entire point of what these people are, are saying. Um, and it's all stemming from like the police brutality and other things like that. When people inject the all lives matter and then they try to say, yeah, but more white people are killed by cops or, or whatever. I, I still think that they're just missing the whole concept of, of the idea of this specific uh, sect of our country has continuously been thrown under the bus and held back. And now, they have, now they're, they're finding their voice, they're using the power of social media, they have new leaders who are up there fighting for them. And I get that all lives do matter, but I mean, if you're Irish and you think your Irish life matters, then you could start an Irish Lives Matter movement, you know, that's perfectly fine. Like, I mean, um, what is your take on, on the Black Lives Matter, the movement itself? Like, when you, when you saw them, people protesting and rising up against 
what I think African Americans have been fighting against their entire history here in the United States. Absolutely. For me, I mean, if I was you, I probably would have been like, yes, finally. Like, so, again, I, I think that there are several factors that we truly have to just slow the roll down and consider. Mm-hmm. To say that all lives matter is an absolute unconditional truth. It yeah. is. I think the issue, though, for too many people is that there are marginalized, disenfranchised, denigrated, uh, ostracized, excluded individuals Mm -hmm. in America who, due to no, primarily no fault of their own, Mm -hmm. they've been excluded. And so we have a, first and foremost, a moral, a legal, and ethical responsibility to address any human that is left behind yeah for 400 plus years people of african descent even at the hands of the chief justice of the supreme court have not been given their equal Mm -hmm. opportunity they have been denied that in contrast and in great disproportion to individuals who are not of african-american descent and so This is why the term is being used that Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. It is not to exclude any other group, faction, portion of of the society. It is to say that this particular sector of the pie is not being equitably or equally included. And therefore, it is a misjustice, it is an injustice. And as Dr. King articulated, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so we can get distracted in some of the phraseology. At the end of the day, the true moral question becomes, what are we going to do about the injustice that is being riddled upon any person here in America, and in particular, those individuals who are of African descent, where there is a disproportionate amount of injustices rendered. Yeah, and it's like, um, it's interesting to me because the same people who are claiming that all lives matter, and then they want to pull up the the other statistics about um, you know, maybe more white people are, are killed by police or whatever. <clears throat> I think they fail to realize this movement was started because of police brutality. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tell you that police need reform. Mm-hmm. You agree police need reform, but you're just so stuck on, on like you said, the phraseology of it. Um, because they're saying black lives matter. But I, when, I, when I hear black lives matter, I, what it translates in my mind, like the roots are things like, you know, um, criminal justice reform, police reform, you know, social reform, uh, you know, even finance reform for, for the banks and, and mm-hmm. Wall Street and things. But people are just so blinded by, you know, oh, no, all lives matter. Like, no, no one said you didn't matter. Like, I don't know. I just feel right. like you guys all need a hug or something. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's similar to if um, the Protestant religions would all of a sudden say that Baptists people need to do this or that Mm -hmm. in contrast to, you know, 
another denomination? Well, if we find that somewhere in the process that one of those particular groups is being disparately treated, it doesn't mean that all are, are not valuable, right. that their life, all lives are valuable. And what we need to truly understand is that as individuals move, generations evolve, that we're becoming more and more intermixed yeah. as far as race is concerned. And so do we not value, you know, our ancestral heritage, you know, and regardless of uh, police uh, brutality is wrong. Yeah. Uh, mortgages and other things that we found disproportionately against African Americans, you know, those treatments are wrong, regardless of who they were done against. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's hard for a lot of people is that they believe that as the pendulum of justice begins to balance itself, and the weights began to equalize that they believe that they are going to lose something. Huh, yeah, and therefore, yeah. they have to stop the movement towards equality instead of the more noble purpose, which is, is that as all society moves up in the food chain, that we as a human race are mm. better. That's why it's critical that we all have an improved system of education. Oh, yeah. That our system of justice is an affair across the board. That economically, all of us are able to have a piece of the pie. And in doing so, we instill a system where, yes, those that work will be fed and those that are unable to be worked to work will be cared for. Yeah. And that isn't socialism. That is another term that we get thrown off. On. <laughs> yeah, so everything's socialist. I, right. I think that what we do is, depending on which side of the aisle people tend to stay on, all right, that you focus too much on the divisive points of that particular platform rather than that unifying point that will get us to come together in harmony. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's even like um, when you look at how things are now, well, I think one of the, the problems with the, with the whole, um, even like with the Black Lives Matter and then you move into the defund police, uh, a lot of it, I think, is taken over by politicians and people who don't know how to label it correctly um, and they don't know how to explain it correctly. So like when you move into something like... Um, so the Black Lives Matter, one of the things they wanted was police reform. Then the progressives took it over and the politicians took it over and they called it defund the police. They should have never said that. They should have just called it, it police reform because it, now, yeah, that section of society is like, you're going to get rid of all the cops. So no. it is the language that is being used <laughs> yeah. and not the true intent mm -hmm. of the message. So is there a need to equitably look at whether or not our municipalities are putting disproportionately funds into our law enforcement 
and we are negating our responsibility to educate our kids mm -hmm. to ensure that there are proper programs out there that are funded to help develop our children. Yeah. And those programs and systems that may be underfunded impact the wholeness that we should aspire for those individuals. And when we look at a total government, we look at, uh, like for example, the SNAP program mm -hmm. or the after school, the kindergarten, you know, those are some of the first programs that we see are cut. Yeah, in, every time. In, in whether or not it's a local municipality or it's at the federal level, when we do that, we impact disparately our marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that here in Hawaii. I mean, we only need to look at the compact agreement oh, as COFA. it really COFA. Yeah. And we look at what is going on with the Micronesians. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask ourselves the moral question. Are we a just society? Have we truly been equitable towards individuals that we truly displaced yep. uh, in order to have a strategic war fighting <laughs> advantage? Yeah. And the war fighting advantage is one thing. However, our accountability piece is that we need to right the wrongs that we as a government have resulted in. And some of those may or may not have been intended outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm certain that there that no one intended. I don't even think that there are there is this group of people that get up in the morning, you know, and put on a uniform and say, I'm gonna go kill these groups of individuals today. Mm -hmm. I, that is not representative of what I believe is the mainstream America. Oh, the majority, even I think it's such a small populace of sick individuals yeah. that they don't even have a, a representation. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yet we will allow social media to, to lead <laughs> the message. Yeah. And that's, what I, that's where I fault America. Mm. I fault hometown American citizens for not educating themselves unbiasedly i fought hometown america for not making sure that children are properly educated and that is because we have replaced the tenets of our society those that have made us the greatest society in the world with material things yeah our children are raised by social media now mm -hmm. we don't use our minds to learn streets and roads and how That's to transfer. Yeah. We just simply plug in something <laughs> and we just let it take us there. Yeah. And that is the, the deterioration of our mind. And so consequently, we don't think critically. We don't think objectively. Yeah. And, and it, this is the result. And it's interesting. I mean, I even have friends who I consider, you know, intelligent but i don't know if just because someone's intelligent that they're rational and logical yeah because again like you were saying a lot of people don't a lot of people lost the ability to do critical thinking um even if some i mean i don't even post things on facebook really that have to do with much just maybe things i'm doing in the community or whatever but every time you post an opinion 
It's like, if you don't give every underlying thing that brought your mind to that one conclusion, you know, people refuse to do that themselves. You could say anything like, uh, maybe why you voted for Biden or maybe why you voted for Trump. And then it's always just some sort of character attack on either one of them or on any politician or it's always, uh, so I always have to tell people like, no, you have to, you have to think deeper, you know, again, going back to the defund police, people who are like, oh, you can't take money away from police. I say, yes, you can. You could take away the money that puts them in the responsibility of trying to be a mental health doctor to homeless people on the street who have mental health problems. I said, that's not the police's pro job. You can redirect those funds to something that will help them. Um, like you said, the education. Maybe there's programs the police are, are being put in charge of that is more of a stress and burden. It's not part of their job anyway. You can redirect those funds to some sort of after-school program, especially in, in, in underprivileged you know, parts of the community. When I was growing up, we had after-school programs. That's how I learned how to use a computer. <laughs> With the, it was like this square triangle mouse that would move around the screen. You would draw lines. Like That's what I used to do after school. But I don't even know if those programs kind of exist, at least here in Hawaii, really. Well, I think that you, you bring up a very good point. When we say defund, what are you meaning? You're, you're saying reallocation. And I think that one of the failures of the conversation and those who have been leading the charge is that we fail to speak with absolute accuracy. Mm -hmm. And for some of us OCD individuals, <laughs> you have not been as thorough in your presentation as you need to be. Mm -hmm. For example, if you speak and say that, okay, this defunding and, and using the example you use, mm -hmm. uh, we want to take uh, 3% of the budget and we want to reallocate it towards uh, mental health. And that is not, in my opinion, defunding. Yeah. That is you fulfilling your responsibility. Yeah. You know, and so defunding doesn't mean that I'm going to do away with 20 patrol units that are in a crime ridding community. Mm -hmm. You know, that I'm going to get rid of the cops that actually provide law enforcement, you know, and as the, the kids who are walking in, you know, uh, area that may be drug infested or things of that nature, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to look at specifically area by area, what are the details? We don't want to have those conversations. And the reason we don't want to have those conversations is because they reveal our true intentions of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. They reveal or they minimize our quote unquote artificial just cause. It doesn't fit the mantra that we are trying to propose. We're trying to you know, the sword we're trying to die on. <laughs> yeah. And so therefore, you know, we won't go there. We'll say something that we believe will be a quick uh, movement, mm -hmm. uh, similar to a Twitter or a tweet, you know, a hashtag. Oh, yeah. It's limited to so many letters. Get, so what we do is defund police, <laughs> you know, can fit. Uh -huh. All right. How about truth? 
You know, we just simply hashtag truth, truth, truth. One hundred percent. It's weird to me because I had to back away from social media in 2020 and I just felt so much better. But it's weird because not just us as a society, just I think the Western world in general and other countries that are coming up on social media. Like what? Why are people so obsessed with posting something that will get so many likes? And most people are just liking it and moving on. Like they're not really caring about you, your character, what you do, things like that. They're just, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me that people obsess with, with wanting these quick sound bites and, and things like this just to get the likes and the attention uh, because I think it's just it's developed a really unhealthy um, I guess uh, I don't know I guess really unha- unha- uh, how would you even put it like really unhealthy um, expectation for people in, in society it's because I, and I, I think of uh, Maslow and his <laughs> yeah. hierarchy of needs <laughs> yeah And I believe that what we need in America today is a true uh, psychological analysis. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to move towards a plan where people of all levels are going to be held accountable for the social and psychological state that we are in. Mm -hmm. Because right now, our esteem, our confidence, our worth, and our sense of value is based on a hashtag. Yeah. And we are no longer caught up in and framing things based on foundational references. Mm-hmm. So we have completely redefined what faith and faith-based is supposed to represent. And so instead of allowing the pendulum to equalize us, what we have done is that we have changed the weights so that as the pendulum swings, it is going to continue to be off. Yeah, It's no different than a person that has a scale and they're getting on the scale every day and the scale is giving them an artificial weight. <laughs> well, the thing is, if that if the scale hasn't been calibrated or it's out of calibration, you're going to continue to get that and you're living with that false reality. Yeah. So that's, I believe, what sickens America today. And unfortunately, we are raising generations now of individuals to accept that yeah. as reality. It's interesting because I'm <clears throat> personally not, not like religious. I grew up Catholic and then we were Lutheran. And then I just kind of, you know, never, never really pursued uh, religion after that. But uh, I can't remember who I was listening to. It might have been like, uh, it might have been Joe Rogan, another podcast, yeah. And they were talking about church and the importance that it used to hold in the sense of community. Like people nowadays... Um, religion is, is less important in American society, but you also see a rise in things like crime, mental health, um, even things like, you know, you have teenagers on social media showing half their body to get the likes, like a sense of morality is kind of lost because what religion provided was a sense of community and responsibility for one another and a sense of something greater 
and that there is something you know better out there for you if you pursue it and it's it and when I look at like in Honolulu, right, it's all these condo towers. But how many people in these condo towers know each other? Probably don't wow. even know their neighbor. So, so you know that you bring up a very interesting point, and it's one of uh, my, it's not a hashtag, but it's one of my little talking points, mm. is that we need to put the neighbor back into neighborhood. Yeah, yeah Because right exactly. now we live in a place that is called a, and you serve on neighborhood boards. Yeah. However, they're not neighbors. Right. Because when you go to the definition, it has to be more than just a person who lives at a particular address. There is no connection between the two addresses. Right. And it's it's so strange. It's so sad. Me. I mean, and unfortunately, it took how many millenniums for that to completely erode yeah and in this quickness in just a few years in a single lifetime mm -hmm. we have completely done away with one of the foundations of society mm -hmm. community yeah and and you can see like the results of it it's even like um for you, you belong to multiple organizations. Mm -hmm. I belong to multiple organizations. And you, and all the organizations you belong to, probably have the same issue with membership. Young people aren't joining the organizations. Now, these organizations are, are the key to, again, not only community, but to opportunity mm -hmm. and things like this. Um, I'm the president of my Lions Club. But I don't even expect to try to gain newer, younger members. I don't even focus on that because it's just the, the younger generation they just don't seem to have an interest for whatever reason um, they'll say they're too busy with school or with work um, but again they just they're not willing to to sacrifice some time to be with uh, a, you know a community <laughs> it's they want to go home they want to be on their phone they want to be on a the computer they want to play video games um, I mean, I guess if you're playing online, you have a group of friends, that's a little bit of a community, but it's not, it's nothing like it used to be, I feel, especially for you, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little it's younger. It's an unfortunate reality because what we've done now is that before the fun, the friends were all known yeah. entities. There were, when, when kids played with other kids, the parents and others in the community knew who those kids were. Yeah. We've substituted now, or migrated, I should say, to online. So you don't know whether that's a real person or a predator. Yeah, yeah. And because of the social stigma, social economic situations, in the past, those were being addressed by competent uh, sources. Now what is happening for kids who are in those social echo uh, categories and low self-esteem, they become more and more vulnerable yeah. to systems. And as adults now, they're completely compartmentalized into those yeah. groups and they don't see the need to do anything to really move outside of that. And that was the difference because when I grew up as a kid, we went from playing as a kid 
to chores and responsibilities and none of that ever negated our responsibility that we were trained as how do we sustain this community? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that the little ones who come behind us maintain this respect that we have for the elders in the community? The need if we're out there playing and we see one of the elders coming and they've got several bags that we would stop playing and that we would go over yeah. and we yeah. would help them, we would extend courtesies and certain decorums and professionalisms and respect was the order of the day. And when we disagreed or when our team we played against, we still were friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so those are the kinds of things that I believe that because there is a erosion of our moral compass and our guiding light mm -hmm. that regardless of what a person defines as their faith, all right, the lack of a belief in some supreme being or a need to have that deference and respect for such is the reason that I believe that we're in the state that we're in today. Yeah, and I, and I agree. And it's, it's, you know, the morality of before was every rung of that social economic ladder, whether we were poor or rich, it just seemed like people, the way they were raised and interacted, you know, before was so much different than today. Yeah, like, again, today everyone's just, uh, they're either in front of a screen, they're at home, you know, the... If you watch on social media, everyone wants to talk about how they have anxiety and they're depressed. And it's like, yeah, well, why, are you, why do you have anxiety and why are you depressed? Because you didn't get enough likes on that post, you know, and things like this. So now you're sad because someone else got more likes than you. And, you know, you're inside your building. You're not getting the sun. You're not getting the vitamins. You're not, you know, I just, I wonder if, if at any point there will be a bounce back, like a fatigue say where people were just going to say you know what I'm, I'm just so over this the social media and all, all these things going on there and there have been people that have pulled back but they always go like for me I pulled back but you're kind of forced to go back on right because that's where everyone is um, do you foresee that maybe sometime in the future especially now when we see the the tech industry and, and you know the Biden administration is asking them to censor even text messages now do you see a point in time where people just say you know what I don't, I don't want to deal with any of this anymore. They put their electronics down and maybe they go knock on their neighbor's door to see who they are. I believe that what this is a wake up call for us to do is to evaluate how it is that we're going to incorporate innovation into appropriate socialization. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're going to have to figure out, and there are in COVID, one of the good things that came out of COVID is that it has taught us and facilitated some of this. Mm -hmm. For example, if we didn't have COVID, we think about the grandparents, the distant relatives, friends afar, who we wouldn't use social media to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. You know, we would not have figured out how to cut costs on certain things and still effect change mm -hmm. that is necessary. You know, we now have the ability to include the entire family network in the birth of our legacy. Yeah. You know, so there are so many good things that social media 
affords us. It takes the populace to simply capitalize on that and say that we're going to make this be the prevailing argument mm-hmm. for moving forward with innovation and efficiency and connectivity with all of humanity. And the moment that that happens, we go back to where we really were before with community, with harmony, with fellowship, and some res- respect and caring for one another. I don't see it coming to a place to where we will get rid of it because so many essential things are tied to this inter- inter- innovation mm-hmm. that we use now. Our medical is tied to it. You know, the cars that we drive, yeah, you know, the way that our home operates. <laughs> so we have to become an integral part of it. I say another one of my little things that I've learned to live by. We need to define it before it defines us. Mm-hmm. And I think that the critical piece here is that we have to be in charge instead of allowing these things to, to drive us. And that's where I believe that we've dropped the ball. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, social media, I, sometimes I kind of wonder if we just didn't let news, news articles on social media, if people would be a lot happier. Because mm-hmm. I swear that's all people do, share these news articles and argue about it. I don't, just don't put the, no news articles on social media. Just let me know what you're doing in life. Let me know what you need help with. Did you start a business? So do we need to stop having the news, though? I don't think so. No, no. I think that what we've got to do, and, and, and I'll, I'll look back at the Edward R. Morrows, and I'll look at the Walter Cronkites, yeah. and I'll look at the great legendary reporters, and I would go to the ethics in journalism. As an individual who grew up uh, in school loving journalism, one of the foundations of it had to have been, and to my Uh, from my perspective, remains ethics Mm -hmm. and integrity in reporting. So when we sensationalize an issue, when we marginalize or we simply change the topic of a story, you know, for advertisement or monetize a situation, now we've lost what is truly you know, so if it becomes an issue about the house across the street burning down, there are 12 different ways that we can lead that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, if we want to move towards this particular populist group, then we will have the story lead this way yeah, yeah. and just the reverse. So I believe that is where we have gotten off track at. Mm-hmm. It isn't that the news is relevant. People need to be informed. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is call for ethics and integrity in our reporting and analysis. What was the legislation we used to have? Did I think it was Newt Gingrich when he was in charge of the GOP? Didn't pass it again, but it was... Uh, was it- something with fairness in the media so if they gave one side they had to give the other side too yeah so it kept a balance similar to a fair and balanced yeah again you do get into some of the the violations of you know the first amendment rights Mm -hmm. and the you know the journalist 
right to report. Mm-hmm. I think the difference between someone's opinion and their factual accounting of of news and people used to strive for that until it became a commercial opportunity. Yeah. You know, when when you are driven in reporting fair and accurately on ratings and such, then that that's where the problem yeah. lies. And it's interesting. I like that you brought up the opinion because mm-hmm. I, I think that these shows that are on these networks, they should have to be labeled, you know, commentary or opinion. I don't know, because I just feel like there is the, the, there are these sects of society it's that just don't get it. An extra word that just can't fit there. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it won't. If I think it's up to the listener. <laughs> yeah. um, there are two reasons to listen. I think that you need to listen so that you are informed mm-hmm. of what these individuals are reporting. And then the second one, it may be that you are listening because you are supporting. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, that those two things drive your participation. And you need to know why it is that you are participating. Mm-hmm. And I will say, as a civil rights individual, I listen to all because it is important for me to have a firsthand accounting yeah of what is being said, what is being promoted. And the thing that disturbs me the most is the braveness, the boldness, the veracity of some of the individuals to just take these unprecedented, unmitigated stands and speak them as though they are gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like you, I'll watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's wrong if you don't, actually, because mm-hmm. if you're going to just listen to Don Lemon's opinions, and he's one of my favorite reporters, but I can separate his facts from opinions, um, and he never presents his opinions, as I've seen it, as facts, but then you go over and you watch something like Tucker Carlson, I'll, I can separate his opinions from the facts, too, and you just kind of have to develop... You know, you have to filter it all out, yeah, and figure out where what's really going on in what That's they're saying. That's because you're a critical thinker. Yeah. <laughs> and so a person who, first and foremost, once you become educated to the rules, the laws, the Constitution, to things that really matter, you then can hear a perspective and you're able to make a well-informed decision as to whether or not that is conjecture or what, you know, if that person is accurately reporting mm-hmm. or not, or if that person is sensationalizing or just selling a product. If they're selling a product, you say, yep, they're selling the product yep. again. However, if they're accurately reporting, you hear the accuracy in the reporting and you say, okay, they told the truth today. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to me that this, you know, even, even my family, I love them to death, but some of the things that they share and post and talk about, I'm like, they're, I'm like, did you really think that realrighttruthynewsnow.com was a real news website? And they're talking about the vaccine magnets are sticking to your arm. Come on. Like, the, come on. Are you kidding me? Like, you really think that that's a thing? Like, I just, I, I really wish, and like, 
I blame people themselves because anyone I feel can work to be better, to better mm-hmm. themselves. You can't, I don't, I don't blame the education system fully mm-hmm. because I think when you get older, you should be able to start realizing just common sense and you should be able to make, come to like rational decisions and things like that. Um, but I just, yeah, I guess I, maybe people are lazy. Maybe they don't want to do the critical thinking. Are we living in a time and day where we need an instant results? For example, when you, in the old days, we opened an encyclopedia when we wanted to do research. I do remember that. We opened a dictionary or thesaurus, (laughs) uh, you know, when we wanted to go learn a definition. Now, when we Google something, the first results that we get is the most popular, not necessarily the most factual or accurate. That's true. So because it's commercialized, it doesn't mean that it is the absolute. And also because we are no longer as patient as we used to be, we want the quick version. We want the hashtag version. Yeah which may not give us sufficiency to make an informed determination. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because we have the whole, almost all of human knowledge at our fingertips at every moment of the day. But yet, look at what we're talking about, right? Like people not doing critical thinking and such. And I wonder if, if it continues the same way, you know, multiple generations down the line, what happens to the human mind itself? How does it evolve? Does it get lazier? Does it retain? Does it get smaller because it doesn't need to retain as much because we're not using it as much? Or do we find ourselves? Medical professionals are suggesting that we, dementia comes on earlier. Hmm. And such because the mind is not critically thinking. Mm. You know, we look at people who do crossword puzzles and they do chess and things that stimulate the mind, right? So if we work the mind, although just the natural cause of life is going to cause things to deteriorate, the lack of stimulation also contributes to its not only full development Mm -hmm. but if it is less developed it will and it is deteriorating it will wrap up sooner (laughs) than if it is fully developed and deteriorates at a slower rate oh that's kind of scary huh so then I guess I got to ask, like, so going back to the NAACP here in Hawaii, what kind of things you guys have on your plate now? So right now, uh, the key focus for us is we are setting up to activate our youth council. Mm. And that is like a youth, for lack of a better word, like a youth chapter of the NAACP that would be its own independent operating. We have magnificent young leaders and so there should be enough of those now that they can formulate into their own youth organization. And uh, with respect to civic issues themselves, 
we are engaged in making sure that the appropriate focus stays on uh, the outcome of the census, mm. the redistricting, uh, critical issues like voting, continued emphasis on the voting. Uh, we are working to make sure that as we move forward in 2021 and the outcomes of the COVID as it adversely impacts our communities, that disparate and marginalized groups are not significantly or disproportionately impacted. Working with uh, making sure that the outcomes of studies being done uh, where we see disparities in education in our school systems, uh, as we try to bring kids back into the classroom, that they are not harmed. Uh, working with other economically challenged groups and socially challenged groups, that their civil rights remain to be uh, protected. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the folks whose jobs are at risk now uh, because of COVID and such, that they have a fair shake. And would you say the jobs that are at risk? You mean like, like hotel workers and All like of that, the, the industries where we've lost a significant yeah. amount and we have to be careful and make sure that as we open up these opportunities, that these opportunities are fairly made available, that they're equitably made available to all eligible participants, mm -hmm. and that they're not just given to friends and families and some selected few, that everyone has a chance for these opportunities to return because uh, a lot of the unemployment benefits are going back uh, to what they were pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. A lot of the social services benefits are going to be cut. And so, yes, as uh, jobs do come back available, we do need to make sure that those jobs are, uh, you know, opportunities are fair and across the board. So I guess I want to ask, because I work at the food stamp office, and when I see like uh, the $300 tax credit, mm -hmm. child tax credit, I don't know too much about that. I just know that it won't be counted as income mm -hmm. for federal benefits. But one of the things that I always run into are, are single parents, and they have kids, and they just are at the threshold of what the federal government considers, considers poverty in Hawaii, mm -hmm. which is really high. They think that $1,513 gross income a month, um, that's their cutoff line for um, benefits. Um, so a lot of people, they just choose not to work because they, if they work, then they lose all the benefits. You know? It is. And so we have a situation, and it is not one that is not common. Mm -hmm. And it is, they're the end of it, there are three categories. The people who are well below the yeah. threshold the people who are significantly above it, the middle class, mm -hmm. the individuals who strive to outcome and have a sense of self-determination. Those are the most vulnerable, and those are the individuals who are normally the most challenged. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're most challenged is because, unfortunately, the system that does not take into account, I have three young kids at home, I'm a single parent, all right, I am eligible for this based on that, on that economic status. I could go out and I could get a job at McDonald's even as a, an assistant manager. Mm -hmm. I may make 
35000 a year, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. What does that equate to, though, with respect to a one-bedroom rental in yeah. Hawaii? Okay, so now I need transportation to go back and forth to work. I need to put food on the table. I need to clothe the kids. I also, you know, have got to pay somebody for the little kid who isn't in pre-K yet. And so when I add all that up, I'm in such a turmoil. Yeah. And so it's not just enough for us to have a threshold. There has to be some system and program that allows for a transition and that uh, program that allows for a transition shouldn't put funds into that parent's pocket as much as it should facilitate the economic relief it should facilitate the empowerment of a journey towards self-determination and help move those individuals who are at the cusp of ineligibility yeah. to full <clears throat> determination. Yeah, and then, um, and I wonder like what that would look like. Like for me, I think giving a $300, you know, okay, whatever, give them $300 per kid, but I don't, again, even if you're not counting it towards their, their income for the benefits, that's not gonna cover childcare. Right. Why and I can't think we... That we forget that? So we have to create. See, this is us going back to an earlier conversation we had, which was community, which was mm-hmm. neighborhood. Because until we go back to the village concept mm-hmm. or the extended family, right? So the extended family, the village concept is, is that there is an infrastructure that allows for these kids to go to a place where they're going to be safe, mm-hmm. nourished, developed, and protected, all right, while the parent goes and do what the parent needs to do mm-hmm. to have full self-determination and elevate up out of that needs-based status. Yeah. So as long as that parent is able to qualify for that particular eligibility, then that infrastructure is not putting money in that person's pocket. It is creating an infrastructure for those kids to have a sense of existence in a safe, secure, and development environment. And now that person, that parent, even as a single parent, is working, paying taxes, Mm -hmm and feeling an integral part of our society. And it's, it's a shame because, you know, like, like I was saying, like a lot of clients, that's their choice. They, they can get a job mm-hmm. or work more hours, but then they're knocked off the system. They lose the health care. They lose that. And that's, I can understand that decision as a single parent. Like you, you, if your kid gets sick, you don't have health care, you're screwed. Um, I, I don't see, and one of the things about the, the food stamp program and such is they go off a gross income limit. I don't understand how they even go off a gross income limit because you don't even- Our whole system is evolved around the gross. And the gross, and, and, and there's a reason why, is because gross is the same factor that is used in an employment. Mm-hmm. It's not your net. 
Yeah. So in our society, in most well-developed societies, you use the gross income. Mm. Um, and because you have too many variables if you don't. Yeah. I, and yeah. you cannot, for example, I can make $100,000 a year. My net is what you're saying is the alternate. I can set up so that 50000 of that is put into retirements, investments, and other things. And now my net is 50000 true. true. And so I've just created this huge loophole for an abuse of the system. Yeah, and it will get so, abused. That's true. That's true. Right. Yeah. So I, I personally <laughs> understand the use of the gross I just simply go back to my earlier point of what I believe that we need to do as a society to recreate this community. And that's where I think when we talk about defunding, mm -hmm. where we need to be looking at how could dollars be better used? Because that young teenager that's home during the summer that's not old enough to work is not gonna be somewhere getting into mischief and cops are not going to be responding to that right. there is an infrastructure to accommodate that yeah and that, that's true too a lot of the crimes like when an area i live chinatown yeah and then mm -hmm. over in Kalis is youth and you know the the higher ups within these organizations they utilize the youth because they get a lower jail sentence and things too right but um yeah, I, I like that. The idea of going back to, to some sort of sense of community, um, I feel, just as you do, that it would really alleviate many of the issues that we're seeing today. And one of the, you know, even in downtown Chinatown area with the homeless, the mentally ill homeless, we'll mm -hmm. focus on that one. I mean, some of them have family, but they just can't take care of them. Right. And there's no one to help them take care of them. So again, that's another, I see that as another aspect of, of, of of the community that we've, we've kind of lost because no one's there helping each other, helping people out to, you know, take care of even, you know, other people's loved ones. I don't know. It's just when I was littler and when I was a kid, our community was so tight. Like nowadays you can't yell at someone's kid or correct them. Right. Cause now you're going to fight. So it'll mm -hmm. be a fight. But if somebody's kids doing something bad and you can scold them and stop them from doing that, like I don't see any problem with that, but people are just so, uh, isolated within their own family bubble nowadays, I feel, but because we never created the relationship, mm -hmm. the reason that people, two reasons, uh, were able to do this before, was based on two words: respect and relationship. Mm -hmm. One is because, as I mentioned earlier, when we were kids, we were raised to respect our elders, and they had authority over us to discipline and govern. The second had to do with the relationship that our parents had with the other individuals within our community and other places, whether it was the school, the church, uh, businesses, or whatever. We respected, mm -hmm. and that relationship was such that we as children did not want that adult reporting back to our parents yeah, yeah. that we got out of order. <laughs> I believe that now because we have a generation of children raising children and those foundational values and tenets that made you a responsible, a more responsible mm -hmm. 
transparent and a more wholesome community because they have so eroded, right? Your children are not able to be spoken to, you know, uh, I can't speak to them. Mm-hmm. I cannot correct them, mm-hmm. you know, and so the person who lived next door could correct a deficiency. Now, except for a moral and ethical response in a life and death situation, yeah. uh, any intervention is subject to appear in court. <laughs> that so, is true. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's where we are, you know, and that's that's until we mitigate that through respect and relationship, we're going to continue to be there. And I, I, have, I have faith that we can return to that. I think generations go by, and I, I have faith that we can correct it in the coming generations, um, or at least I hope so. But I guess I was asked, is there anything in particular that you wanted to tap on, or for the, whether it be the NAACP, what's going on in Hawaii? Or, well, I think that it isn't a single organization mm-hmm. that's going to help us get where we need to, to get. It is individuals like yourself uh, and organizations collectively deciding that we as a society need to reclaim our communities. Mm-hmm. Again, I say we are all going to get involved and put the neighbor back in neighborhood. We are going to be practical about it. We're going to be realistic about it. Understand that even if the change that we desire doesn't happen within my generation, that I see future generations having respect and relationship and social norms that allow for individuals to care for one another as it should be the case. And so it isn't just the NAACP, it isn't just James Lowe, it isn't just Alfonso Braggs, it's gonna be all of us Mm. making a unconditional commitment for the betterment of all of humanity that we see this urgent need to engage. I agree, I like that, I like the way you put that. So now let's just say, if somebody's interested in getting involved in the NAACP, whether in Hawaii or in general, how would they go www.naacp.org. All right. Or they can email us at naacphawaii at gmail.com. Simple email. And do you guys do like monthly meetings? Monthly meetings. uh, And those, uh, you could, like I said, you either, you know, Google the organization, Mm -hmm. become a member. You know, if you email us, we'll let you know what's going on within the community. Right now, because of COVID, we have not been as active and socially engaged Mm -hmm. for all the right reasons. However, the work of uh, social justice continues. We've just found a different means by which to do so. And one thing that a lot of people think that this is an organization exclusively for African-Americans or just uh, minority groups, and it isn't. It is for all citizens, all people uh, who believe that you know their civil rights are being violated. And the approach is that we would do things and engage proactively so that we don't have to reactively uh, you know, do this advocacy and this fight. I like that. Well, I just wanna say I appreciate your time. Thank I you so the very conversation. much. I don't want to take up too much of your day. Appreciate yeah? it. And uh, I thank you for being a guest, and I hope we can do it again. 
Absolutely, I would love it. I felt quite comfortable and I really applaud you for, for having this sit down, this afternoon conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you.